Welcome to Launchpad, the unique radio show and podcast that celebrates new book releases and the authors that created them. Now, let's take off with your host, Grace Salmon. This is Launchpad. Welcome to episode 23 on behalf of Mary Helen Sheriff, the author marketing coach and myself. This show is taped in front of a live audience. So if you are joining us live, please feel free to make a comment, ask a question, join right in on the conversation. We're so excited to have live listeners as we talk. This is going to be an amazing show. Today we have Corey Ajmi, Gretchen Charrington, Irena Smith, and Amy Turner, and we're going to be talking about moving memoirs, poignant family sagas, powerful men who shaped history, and some cleverly imagined storytelling. So I'd like to welcome each and every one of you. And again, we do have people who are watching us live. Um, good afternoon and welcome. This show then airs on Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network in 153 countries. So I'm delighted to be the host for this, the start of season three. Let's start right away with Corey. Tell us about your book, <coughs> The Marriage Box. And I love the subtitle, Life and Other Shortcomings. <laughs> So uh, The Marriage Box is my novel. Life and Other Shortcomings is actually a collection of short stories. It was oh, my good. first book. Tell us about yes. both. Okay. Well, Life and Other Shortcomings came out in 2020 at the height of the pandemic. So that was interesting. Um, it was a collection of short stories. And The Marriage Box is my novel. It just came out this past May. And it's a story that is based on my real life. The premise is based on my real life, but the book is totally fiction. And it's about a young protagonist who grew up in New Orleans in the 70s and 80s in a reformed Jewish community. Her parents want when she's 16 for her to come back to the community they both were raised in in Brooklyn to an Orthodox Jewish community. And they move her back at 18 with the intention of her getting married by 18, which is shocking to her. Totally different cultures, worlds, and Casey is quite shocked by all of it. So it's a story of culture clashes and it's kind of fun. And uh, it took me a really long time to write the book based on the fact that it was connected to my life. So you needed a little bit of distance there, but um, <laughs> I, I'm so glad that you wrote it. I want to hear more about it. And then speaking of stories that are connected to one's life, Gretchen. Yeah, thanks Grace for having us on today. It's really fun to be with you. Um, so this is my second memoir, and it has kind of a long title, so I'll, I'll spell it out to people. It's called The Butcher, The Embezzler, and The Fall Guy, a family memoir of scandal and greed in the meat industry. And it involves my paternal grandfather, who helped over 20 years, helped George Hormel found and start and grow what is now the $12 billion conglomerate Hormel Foods. Most of you have probably heard of that company. Maybe you've seen Spam, probably their most famous product. Uh, that came after my grandfather left. Anyway, they worked together for 20 years along with a very smart bookkeeper named Ransom J. Thompson, great name for an embezzler. Mm -hmm. And over the course of a decade, he stole nearly $1.2 million from Hormel money right under the eyes of smart executives, auditors, bankers, etc. When the embezzlement was discovered in 1922, about six months after that, my grandfather was forced to resign from the position amid rumors that he was complicit in the embezzlement. So when I had heard about these stories as a kid, 
and then grew up into an adult and had worked in my consulting career with a lot of uh, CEOs, I wanted to find out what really happened. Um, so the story is about my journey to discover what really happened to my grandfather back in the 1900s and also to what degree that might have shaped me. Wonderful. And indeed, um, our pasts do shape us quite a bit. Irina, I'm so interested in your past because part of it means that you said that you were never going to um, learn English or write English, and then all of a sudden you were an English professor at the United States. So tell us a little bit about that and your story, The Golden Ticket, A Life in College Admissions Essays. Yeah, so I think um, what you touched on, Grace, this is the book, The Golden Ticket. Um, what you touched on about life going not exactly as planned is very true of my book. My parents and I emigrated to the United States when I was nine years old in the late 1970s. Um, I spoke about 10 words of English, about seven of them were numbers. And um, I did not want to be here. I did not understand the strange country and its strange customs and language. And then eventually, thanks to Brady Bunch reruns, um, as well as Gilligan's Island reruns, <laughs> I learned enough English to eventually major in English and then get a PhD in comparative literature eventually ending up in the admissions office at Stanford. And then after that, working for 17 years as a college, private college admissions counselor in Palo Alto under the long shadow of Stanford University. So um, the book is about <clears throat> all of that, as well as my experience as a child of Soviet immigrant parents with their expectations my own expectations for my children, and of course, the very lofty expectations of many of the parents of the students I work with about what are good schools and how to succeed in life by threading the needle and getting in somewhere really hard. And your book, if I understand correctly, is about you looking at your own life through a series of college admissions essays? Exactly. So the reason it's called A Life in College Admissions Essays is that I have um, lived in the world of college admissions essay responses since the late 1990s when I started working in Stanford admissions and then for 17 more years in my own practice. So I work with dozens of students every single fall as they wrestle with these really, I would say, pretty intimidating um, essay prompts, including, you know, describe the world you come from and how it has shaped your dreams and aspirations, which is a hard question to ask or answer at any age, but certainly at 17. And so all along my work with students, I was thinking, well, what, what would I say as an adult if I didn't have to actually adhere to a word limit? And so the memoir is in the form of my responses to actual college application essay prompts. And I love that I shared before while we were in the green room, my first job was in college admissions, so we will have much to share. And last but not least, Amy and, you know, Irina just talked a bit about things that happen to kids when they're facing college admissions. You have quite the story of a dramatic event that happened to you when you were four years old. Tell us about your story of On the Ledge. Yes, well, On the Ledge is a memoir. It's a story of my recovery from an accident. I was crossing the street uh, in a pedestrian crosswalk and I was mowed down by a pickup truck. 
amazingly, I didn't have any internal injuries or broken bones, but of course there was a recovery process uh, from that. But in the course of recovering it, to my absolute surprise, I find myself recovering from a trauma that was very much deeper. When I was four and a half, my father climbed out of the window onto the ledge of his hotel room. He was on a business trip in New Haven and threatened to jump. Uh, fortunately, he was persuaded to come in by a passerby priest after 20 minutes and was hospitalized for a year. At the time, my mother was an active alcoholic with four of us young uh, children. And of course, at the time, uh, I wasn't told. I didn't learn uh, of this until I was 16. But he was, as I say, he disappeared for a year. And when he returned, there was so much urgency to the warnings of not getting him upset and not uh, getting him angry and so forth that, you know, children are so intuitive and sensitive and it's kind of the known unknown. I knew there was something that had life or death consequences attached to it. Um, so eventually when I found out at 16, uh, it seemed familiar and by also shocking, but also familiar. And I, the, my pattern of hypervigilance and anxiety had already been triggered you know, from the age of four and a half. And it would really take the next 40 years to understand and undo it. And the memoirs about that. And um, lest anyone think it's too dark, I would just say that my preferred method of coping is humor. So there is a thread of that throughout the book. And uh, actually the reviews say that uh, to deal with this incredibly dark part with some surprising and uh, humorous approaches. So thank you for that. We have many people who are joining us, several people from yeah. She Writes Press. We always like to partner with She Writes Press with uh, fabulous Brooke Warner. Um, we're happy to celebrate that press as well. And Mary Helen Sheriff, the author of Marketing Coach is on with us as well. So thank you for everybody who is joining us, uh, Laika and a few other uh, people that I see, uh, Marion, and I always feel like romper room, but this is uh, <laughs> wonderful that we have, please feel free to ask questions. So each of you have talked about family, and Corey, you talked about having to distance yourself from family. Why is now the right time to write your book, The Marriage Box? Well, I started the book about 20 years ago, and it just had to go through so many different um, lenses before I could finally feel comfortable to put it out in the world. I needed to, um, in, because it talks about my mother, my father, my husband, my community, I just needed to be careful that I was telling all the stories um, in a way that was respectful, um, but also provocative in a certain way. I definitely was looking to um, expose, sounds extreme, but like expose certain things or bring to light so that we could have conversations around certain topics, all communities, all people have good and bad. And I was just looking to explore that. But like I said, I wanted to do it in a really respectful way that nobody would feel um, too put off. And my parents and my husband were amazing about having their characters be based on them. That's great. Plenty, plenty of things that are not true. So they feel comfortable. <laughs> just enough of a distance. Now you like writing about gender roles and culture quite a bit. Is that correct? I do. I do. Um, I didn't set out to do that, but it turns out I've been in, um, in, in, in the community I live in now has been historically patriarchal. And um, 
I think just growing up in America during the time that I grew up, I faced a lot of that growing up in the South. And um, I think it's made me angry. And I had always heard, write what you know, but also at some point I heard, write what upsets you. And I think that's what I was doing. I would, I would be in situations that would really get me crazy inside, feeling very unsettled and um, having no way to express myself properly. And so writing was just a way for me to be able to grapple with my feelings and to use my voice and to say what I had to say. Gretchen, that's got to be true, too, of you and the butcher, the embezzler, and the fall guy, especially since the family member was the fall guy. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, yeah, I think there's, I guess, with any memoir, and and I think also with a lot of fiction, there's, there's um, a lot of questions about what to say, what not to say, and how to deal with it. I think in, in my case with this book, um, it wasn't just my family that I was concerned about, but it was also the hormone family. Um, this is a big brand name company. And um, I wanted to be sure that I, you know, same as a couple other people have said here, was as careful and um, with, you know, comments that I make about George Hormel as I would be with my own family. At the same time, I didn't want to, uh, you know, sugarcoat what actually happened. And so, you know, I was sort of threading the line between uh, pure honesty and a little bit of carefulness as well. Irina, how would some of these um, family issues come to light in your book, The Golden Ticket? So there were, um, it's a great question. And I'm really, I also want to go back to what Corey said about write what upsets you. And um, I think that that is such a powerful mechanism for both getting words on the page and also making sense of complicated events in your own life or in your own family history. Um, so in my case, there were, multiple families that I had to be uh, attentive to, one being my own family and my parents, one being my husband and my children who are very much in the memoir, and one being the families who trusted me with their children to guide them through college. And although it is very much a crazy making profession, I don't think through anyone's fault, I don't think any parents set out to maliciously, you know, twirl their villain mustache and screw up their kids. I think we live in an area where the expectations are so warped and so lofty that parents feel like they have to do these things to ensure their children's future. And it's not always a productive way to actually in the moment ensure that their children are healthy and happy. So I didn't want to have any identifiable instances where people would be like, oh my God, that was me. I trusted her, you know, with this information. So I had to do a lot of work to create sort of believable composite characters. And um, Lori Gottlieb's book, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, was my model in that because I was like, how, how did she create these extremely believable characters out of multiple patients um, that she was seeing? So um, there was some fictionalizing and blurring in describing the families I worked with. And fortunately, both my parents and my family were very supportive of what I was writing. And so they were on board with me telling some hard truths about our family that I wanted in there because I didn't want to be preaching from on high about how toxic the college application process could be. I wanted to show that I too had a personal stake in it and it was affecting me in ways that were sort of parallel, um, but also perpendicular to my work. 
Thank you. Amy, how did you or did you blur those lines between the real things in your family and what came out onto the page in On the Ledge? Uh, no, I didn't blur anything. I mean, it, it was a memoir, so I was really telling the truth as I saw it. But I was very clear with myself from the beginning that my desire was to tell my story as I saw it. And you know, starting from when I was four and a half. And, you know, I think we're all aware that siblings can be a year apart and they can often feel like they grew up with different parents, different families. Right. Yeah. So I, I felt free to write about my brother who sadly passed away shockingly soon after my accident. And that was part of the precipitating event really that got me to write. So I felt free to kind of tell his story as I saw it and how it affected me. But I had two other siblings, both of whom are good writers. And I really felt it was unfair for me to try to project what their response was to these events and how they might have seen things. Mm -hmm. For one, um, they might tell their own story and I didn't want to step on that. And secondly, how would I know? So my lens really was, how did I see things? How did it affect me? How did it shape me? And I don't want to say I was fortunate that my parents had passed away. You know, I miss them. But um, I didn't have, I only had to grapple with my internal struggle with what, what might they have thought. Mm -hmm. um, they had both passed away when I started writing. That, that makes so, so I didn't have that. Yeah, and that I just, yeah, sense. I really just really tried to tell the truth uh, my own. Thank my you. own perspective. Thank you. Let's go back to Corey. Um, you've written both fiction and nonfiction. And one of our listeners wants to know about which is the hardest character to write about and why. But I'll make it more generic, if you like. Um, what is the hardest part of the writing process for you? Well, I definitely have a harder time with nonfiction than fiction. I really mm -hmm. enjoy it. I feel the freedom with fiction that I don't deal with nonfiction. And, and as it turns out with the marriage box, I think the hardest one was maybe me, the character that was based on me. <laughs> I think it's been so long to write the marriage box because I'd spent years protecting all my characters, including the one based on me. And once I was able to let the protagonist do something I could never do, everything changed. Uh, once mm -hmm. once I, she was like distinctly not me, um, I was able to make everybody else on the page not be who they were based on. So I'd say me. Also, I think it's, hard, it's easy for other, it's easy for us to see other people. It's harder, I think, to see ourselves sometimes. Yeah. Oh, I, oh, I, I agree. I write both fiction and nonfiction. Um, although I find nonfiction easier right now. I don't. Mm. Yeah, I think nonfiction is easier for me at the moment. Gretchen. What what kind of uh, characters did you have to imagine in The Butcher, The Embezzler, and The Fall Guy? Yeah, really, you know, I had to use my imagination for all of the three men that I was writing about <clears throat> um, because I didn't know any of them. I never met my grandfather. He had died long before I was born. I certainly didn't know Mr. Hormel or Ransom Thompson. I had materials through investigative research, you know, that were useful in terms of gaining their voices um, and helping me sort of think about who they might be in the context of the place where they lived and the time that it was. Um, but a lot of it was imagined. And this was a this was a arena, I think, in this book that I didn't 
cover quite so much in my first memoir, Poetic License, where I felt like I was speculating quite a bit in this book. Um, and I, I would say that when I was writing, you know, if I, if I was writing something that I was clearly speculating about, it was all based on research, but I didn't have the actual answer or the fact or the situation um, that I might have had when I was writing more about a, my father, let's say, in the lifetime that I shared with him. Um, so I think I think the speculation was sort of one of the bigger uh, craft issues for me in this particular book. And I, I really enjoyed it, though. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed both sharing with the reader that I was speculating in some, you know, quick way, but at the same time, really trying to imagine these people. And maybe that's a good bridge to the third book, which will be fiction. So that will be um, kind of a new experiment for me. But maybe that's, maybe in having speculated so much in this book, it will be a good uh, stepping stone for me. Well, we look forward to the third book and hopefully we'll get a moment to talk about that. Irena, you had talked briefly that it was hard to make these composite characters. Um, was that the hardest part of the writing process for you? Um, there were a lot of hard parts. I think that um, figuring out how to weave together um, sort of the, the three different strains of the book, my own life um, as a daughter of parents assimilating to the United States at the same time that I was assimilating um, in the United States, plus my work as a college admissions counselor, plus my own family life. Um, I think trying to figure out how they were connected and ultimately realizing they were connected under the rubric of great expectations, which is what I actually really wanted to name the book, except alas, that title was already taken. I've, by I've heard of that book. <laughs> yeah. And so when I floated it um, past Brooke Warner at She Writes Press, she was like, are you insane? Like, do you want people to never find your book? Um, but I think that's that's really, you know, the golden thread, if you will, is it's about the expectations that parents place on their children and how those expectations often tend not to go the way that they go. So I think that the organizational part was the hardest for me, although the other probably secondarily hard part was letting go of just some amazing stories that were, you know, truth is stranger than fiction incarnate <laughs> that were just too identifiable and I couldn't include them, but I will carry them in my head forever to remember how just really upside down this area of college admissions is. It is indeed. Amy, um, hardest part for you? Well, um, I would say that probably there were two parts that were hard. One was the ending, and I, I was like literally and metaphorically banging my head against the wall. I could not figure out the ending. And then I realized at some point, I haven't lived it yet. You know, it's not, I'm not going to burn it out of my head. So I put it away for a while, and within about 18 months or so, I realized I was living the end. So that was helpful. Mm -hmm. The other, like, Irina was structure. And um, my memoir originally had started out with the accident with a lot of digressions. So there was a lot of time traveling and time jumping and um, creating great readers would probably be as dizzy as I was after the accident. And I had to figure out a way, how do I tell the recovery from my accident moving forward, but also tell about the impact of the earlier trauma throughout my life before that 
and how are they connected? And finally, I had a really wonderful writing teacher and um, thought about it a lot. And she said, well, you know, I ended up with a braided structure. So it was alternating chapters, alternating timelines. And I have to say somehow by the grace of God, it worked, but it was a lot of work because I had to tear apart 150 pages, you know, each paragraph is this the A line, the B line, put it on cards, put it on a wall and a lot of moving around. But in the end, it, it worked. It was daunting because I didn't know that it would work, but I would encourage <laughs> other writers, you know, just do it. because uh, the, you know. the joy of rewriting and the joy of uh, changed perspectives. Mm-hmm. I've been having a lot of conversations recently with an author friend of mine about, is it important to write? What is it that makes it makes us feel it is so important to write. Does the world need one more book? Um, And I think the statistic now is something like a million six books a year are published. So Corey, let's start with you. Why do you write? And what do you want to accomplish with your writing? Such a good good question. Um, I think about that a lot when I'm not doing so many other things in my life. (laughs) I'm just at my desk alone not even bothering to put clothes on, you know, I'll my head up, it's four o'clock, I haven't gone outside. And I literally wonder about that question, like, why is this so important? And I think kind of it's being answered right now. I really love stories. I love meeting all of you. I love hearing each one of your stories. I'm intrigued by them. I learn from them. They inspire me. And I just think storytelling fundamentally is, is essential. And so is creativity. So um, I think being creative and telling stories just is um, a real blessing. I stumbled into writing kind of later in life, and I feel very blessed. Okay, Gretchen, same question. Okay. Um, well, You've got uh, a third book coming out. Do you want to interrupt <laughs> you? What's your third book going to oh. be about? Well, it's going to be another true crime story, and it's also going to be... Uh, as usual, a complicated family story, but it's not mine. <laughs> so, um, but, so why do why do you write? And why is it important? Yeah. So, thinking about what Corey just said, I mean, I I really think that I write to figure out what I think and what I feel. I I think that's how I work those out. It's on the page. I did grow up in a family where there, there wasn't a lot of airtime for kids, and so. I don't know that I really felt like I knew what I thought or felt about things growing up. It's taken me a long time to get there. And I too came to this, you know, at a really in my forties, fifties, and now I'm 72. So, um, you know, I, I, but I think it's primarily to sort of figure out what do I think and feel about something. And um, I think the secondary reason is to, to expose people, readers to, truths that are out there that I think all of us need to take a look at. Thank you. Irina. So I have always been um, a chatty person. I was voted in high school most likely to talk um, to (laughs) anyone or anything about anyone or anything, which was a million years ago, but I am still extraordinarily proud of that distinction. Best award I've ever gotten or senior superlative. And I think to me, um, it comes down to, there's a great quote, I believe by Ralph Waldo Emerson, where he said something about writing 
tapping into the universal in the particular. And I think that for me, that's kind of the essence of creative nonfiction, which is my preferred genre, is in tapping into something very, very idiosyncratic and particular and unique to you and your lived experience in the world. Um, you inadvertently, if you're honest about it, if you're specific about it, you inadvertently tap into universal truths that resonate with other people. And there is really no better feeling in the world. I think Corey is absolutely right. Just that feeling of talking to other writers and feeling that, you know, kind of cellular connection of people are making marks on the page because they have something to say and it resonates with other readers and other people. So pretty much that for the, the universal in the particular. I love it. Author community is so important and obviously the reading community as well. Amy, same question. Um, well, I call myself an accidental memoirist because honestly this flew, not because of the accident, but this emerged from a thank you note I was writing um, and somehow 30 pages poured out of me. I sent off the thank you note. It was way beyond the bounds and I... I really realized I was writing a memoir. So by the end, I really questioned, you know, who would want to read this? I, it came from me so viscerally. And I, people who had read it said, you know, no, people are going to see themselves in the story. It's very relatable, the issues that you face. And I thought, I've done all this work. I, I will have it published. And as everyone here has said, uh, it's wonderful to talk to other writers and there's just nothing like hearing from readers saying, I hadn't realized this about myself, but then I, I saw myself in that and how did you do this? And so that's just been a wonderful feedback and that's generated more um, desire to continue writing. I love that you say it sprang from a thank you note. Uh, quickly, we are at the end of our show. I want to thank each of you. Hold up your fabulous books. Corey Ajmi, The Marriage Box. Yes. Gretchen yeah. Charrington, The Butcher, The Embezzler, and The Fall Guy. Irina Smith, The Golden Ticket, A Life in College Admissions Essays, and Amy Turner, on the ledge. I'm thankful to each of you. I'm so thankful to the people who watched along with us today. Shameless plug for one of the things that emerged from this book it is that we have a series called Launchpad, the countdown to writing your book, Launchpad, the countdown to publishing your book, and Launchpad, the countdown to marketing your book with my buddy, Mary Helen Sheriff. It's been a pleasure to have each of you on Launchpad. Thanks again. I hope you fall in love with these authors and make sure you check out their books as your next best read. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This episode is copyrighted by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thank you for visiting with us on Launchpad.